thank him for uh, the words of that song. Now we're going to go straight into the scripture reading. And um, I'm going to ask uh, Richard, who will do the uh, scripture reading uh, for us. If you haven't got a Bible, it will come up on your screen. And um, all you need to do is just follow the uh, reading as Richard um, takes us through uh, the scripture reading. And um, we've started our sermon series, which I think for about two weeks now, we've been looking at standing strong under Satan's attack. And uh, we are going to be looking at something else uh, this morning. So the scripture reading, as we've got there, is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. And Richard will be reading from verse 31 uh, to verse uh, 38. So I'll hand over to Richard for the scripture reading. Thank you, Pastor. From verse 31 then. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now, he said, take your money and the traveller's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. And may the Lord bless that portion of his word. Amen. All right, thank you, Richard, for uh, the reading of the word of God. And um, for anyone maybe who's just joined us this morning, we've been looking at um, uh, the subject of standing strong on the Satan's Attack. I remember how we started this lesson uh, when we looked at the book of um, 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, we saw the warning from Peter, or I wouldn't call it warning, but the exhortation that we should not find it strange when we see ourselves as Christians fall into, as he calls it, diverse temptations or different temptations, as if some strange thing has happened uh, to us. And um, I remember Christine sharing some things with us in, uh, from the book of Ephesians in her illustrations. And that's actually what gave birth to this message, uh, how we had to stand strong under Satan's attack. And we laid the foundation uh, just to reinforce the truth that devil, the enemy will try us. Uh, the enemy will um, buffet us, that things will happen. We are not immune uh, to the attacks of the enemy. And I think I remember was it last week that Christine did um, uh, send me a text message. I, I hope she doesn't mind me uh, sharing uh, this about um, uh, someone in one of the churches, uh, St. Philemon, who's just um, 
committed um, suicide. And she just said this reinforces what we've been talking about, uh, that the enemy would come against us ferociously. He would attack us in so many ways. And that's why we as Christians, we have to learn how we can stand strong under Satan's attack. Now, for the man who took his own life, uh, we know that uh, from what I've learned that he's a Christian, he's a believer. But what could, what must have happened to this man that he couldn't take it anymore? And that's why there are Christians all around us, all over the world, people who are going through intense, severe pressure. And um, sometimes God just opens the window for us to look inwards and see actually what is going in, going on in the lives of these people. And that's why it's very important for us as Christians never to take some of these things for granted. You may be standing strong, you may be resisting the attacks of the enemy, but, but there might be someone else who desperately needs that support and strength that we all can give them as, as Christians or as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when we came to this lesson, standing strong under Satan's attack, the text we read there, we saw that Jesus Christ was praying and told his disciples, he said, Simon, Simon, I have pleaded with for you in prayer that your faith will not fail. And we looked at the warning that Jesus Christ gave to not just Simon Peter, but to all the disciples that Satan has desired to sift them as wheat. And in that lesson on the warning, we saw that that warning is also applicable to each one of us. Satan has desired, he has asked for, that he will test our faith, he will try us, that the authenticity of our faith will be revealed through those trials. And so in that warning, we saw that we all is a warning for every single one of us to stand our ground, is a warning for us not to be ignorant of the devices of the devil, is a warning for us so that he that thinks he stands should take heed lest uh, he fall. And I think uh, from there we went into looking at not just the warning, but the answer to Satan's attack. Because when you look at that text that we read, not only do you see the warning that Jesus Christ gave, but you also see the answer. And in that answer, if you remember last week what we looked at, there were three answers to Satan's attack. We saw that Jesus is our ultimate intercessor because he said to Peter, I am pleading for you in prayer that your faith will not fail. So Jesus knows the frailties of humanity. He knows that Peter will stumble, that Peter will deny him. And so Jesus was pleading in prayer for him in the same way that he is your great intercessor. He is pleading for you. He is praying for you that you will stand strong through the trials and the temptations that you go through. We also saw the second um, answer to Satan's attack, and that is turning back to God when we fail. Remember what Jesus said to him, Simon Peter, I have pleaded for you in prayer that your faith will not fail, but when you have repented or turned again to me. So Jesus knew that Peter would falter, but the answer will be in turning back again to God. Because when we turn back to God, what we do actually is that we disarm the enemy. He doesn't have that much power over us anymore. He wants to see us down and out. But the moment we run back to the heart of the Father, the moment we run back to the embrace of Jesus, it disarms him completely. And that's why for us as believers, there's nothing wrong sometimes in being down. But there's everything wrong in staying down. 
Sometimes we get depressed. Sometimes things happen to us. We lose faith. We lose hope. But God wants us to bounce back up again so that we will not make a lasting denial of our faith. So that is a great answer to Satan's attack. And then, of course, we also saw the last answer to Satan's attack. This is just by way of recap. Uh, the last answer we saw there is trying to always commit yourself to encouraging others. Encouraging others. Jesus said to Peter, when you have repented and turned back to me, he says, strengthen your brethren or your brothers. So that is a great answer to Satan's attack. Because when we do that, we are not only saving ourselves, but we are also saving our brothers and our sisters. We are watching out for each other. We are making sure that another brother or another sister does not fall under Satan's attack. So it's a commitment that we all are called uh, to make. But what we want to do this morning is now to look at the prevention against Satan's attack. And that's why I said this scripture, the more you probe the depths of it, it unfolds before us, the warnings, the answers, and now we then see the prevention against a Satan's attack. And in verse 33, if you look at from verse 33 there uh, to verse uh, 37, where Richard read to us, if you were paying very uh, close attention, you will see that Jesus actually provided some form of prevention. It's not just about the attacks that we go through. Yes, we are going to go through these attacks, no doubt about it. There's a man known as um, F.R. Uh, Malby. In one of his writings, I actually love what this man said. He says that Jesus promised his disciples three things. The first one, that they will be absurdly happy, and that's what we all love. The second one, they'll be completely fearless. We love that. But the third thing he said that Jesus promised his disciples is that they will be in constant trouble. Now, we don't want to hear that, that we are going to be in constant trouble. In the world, the world will be against us. In this world, they will persecute us. In this world, we will go through trials and affliction and troubles. But within that context of afflictions and troubles, Jesus Christ gives us not just the answer, but also a way that we can prevent Satan's attack. And that is what you see Jesus doing in these verses of scripture, how to prevent Satan's attack. And the first thing we see in preventing Satan's attack is to know the difference. And I think this is very, very important. But before we do that, I want you to look at this scripture, first of all, and um, so that you can see what Jesus was saying uh, to Peter here. And this is Peter's bold statement. He says, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Now, this is Peter's confession. This is what he said. He was determined. He says, Lord, I'm going to go to prison with you and even to die with you. I mean, this is a great thing to say. If I were Jesus looking at Peter, possibly I would have said, wow, what a great commitment. It's just like when you make a commitment to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. You're in a marriage. You say to your wife, I'm going to love you all the days of my life till death do us part. Uh, you, you, you join a church. You say, Lord, I'm going to serve you in this church all the days of my life. Great commitment. Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. That's the ideal. But look at verse 34. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Just as he is telling every single one of us this morning. 
It says, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, it says, you will deny three times that you even know me. So Jesus had seen something that Peter hadn't seen. And we are going to see that when it comes to the prevention of Satan's attack, we have to know the difference between making a carnal commitment to Christ and making a spiritual commitment uh, to Christ. There is a great difference. And sometimes we falter and fall under Satan's attack because we don't know the difference between making a carnal commitment to Christ and making a spiritual commitment to Christ. We saw Peter there. He quick, quickly, he declared, he said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison. And even it means dying with you. He says, Lord, I am going to die with you. Just as we make commitments, the man who falls away from the church or falls away from the faith, maybe it's possible he made a commitment as well and said, Lord, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. I'm going to stand strong when temptation comes. I'm going to be this or be that. And we make all these commitments. But for those who understand what a spiritual commitment is all about, there's a difference between those and those who make a carnal commitment to Christ. And I'm going to show you how this impacted uh, Peter. Because when Peter declared his loyalty to Jesus, Peter did not know the difference between making a carnal commitment to Jesus and making a spiritual commitment. And you might be wondering, but what's the difference? There are actually three differences between making a carnal or a fleshly commitment to Jesus and making a spiritual commitment to Jesus. And the first difference for those who are more interested in knowing what these differences are, because it's good for us to probe the depths of scripture, is that when you make a carnal commitment, there is always a difference between what you propose to do and your desires. So the difference in making a carnal commitment to Christ and a spiritual commitment to Christ is that there is always a difference between purpose and desire. The man who makes a carnal commitment to Christ, if you look at what he proposes to do and his desires, is all earthly and material. But the person who makes a spiritual commitment to Christ desires to have spiritual and heavenly things. And that is a major difference. Because when you look at Peter saying to Jesus, I'm ready to die with you, I'm ready to go to prison with you. Don't forget, Peter was committed to Jesus in the establishment of an earthly kingdom. And that was what he wanted. It was more like a carnal commitment to Christ. Yes, we are going to follow this man who has come to destroy the Romans and set up his kingdom. And if you're wondering how I know this, if you remember when they were walking along the way, they were more interested in who is going to be the greatest in this kingdom. Not only that, they were quarreling and arguing amongst themselves. And you can see that their mindset or their commitment to Christ, they had other motives for following Jesus. And so right here we see Jesus going to the cross, Jesus getting arrested. And you see Peter's faith faltering because all his hopes, everything he had hoped for, all of a sudden has disappeared right before him. So when a man makes a carnal commitment to Jesus and temptations come or trials come or those things that he has always hoped for does not materialize, 
what happens, it becomes easy for him to fall to the trial, to the temptations or the attacks of the devil. And that's why I said that this is one prevention against the Satan's attack, knowing the difference between a carnal commitment to Christ and a spiritual commitment to Christ. Peter could not stand to see his master arrested. Peter could not understand how this savior all of a sudden has become powerless. Peter's personal ambition was crushed. And so it was easier for him to deny his master and to succumb to temptation. And I think this is a question that as we relate to Jesus and we serve him, we need to ask ourselves, what are my purposes? What is the motive for committing myself to Jesus? If the motive is wrong, it's only a matter of time. When trials come, when temptation comes, it becomes easy for us not only to deny, but for us to fall into temptation. Sometimes we hear stories of people maybe falling away from the church and you probe a little bit further and they say maybe something happened in their family. They lost a loved one or maybe they lost a job. They found things extremely difficult. And so because of that, they fall away from the church or from their commitment to God. Now, it exposes something that in the beginning they made a commitment But that commitment was a carnal commitment because a real spiritual commitment proposes and desires spiritual things and heavenly things. That even when the earthly things are not there, they are looking up to Jesus because they understand the reason why they committed themselves to him in the first place. Why are you following Jesus? Why have you committed yourself to him? Why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you fellowship with God's people? When it comes to your motives and your desires, the enemy will tempt you. The enemy will test us. And the real reason why we are following will be exposed. There are lots of scriptures that I could have taken us through, but because of our time, I'm not going to go through every single one of them. But there's one in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 that actually tells us, it's a note of warning that let him that thinks he stands, take heed. He says, lest he falls. Let him that thinks he stands, let him take heed so that he does not fall. So the first difference you see between a carnal and a spiritual commitment is that difference between what you propose and also what you desire. The second difference you're going to be seeing, again, between what you propose and what you desire. But I want you to look at this scripture here in Romans chapter 12. And this is Paul, again, writing to the Roman Christians. And listen to what Paul said here. He said, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, he says not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Now, in Peter's confession, as Peter was saying, I'm going to die with you and go to prison with you. Now, this was a man who was actually thinking of himself more highly than he ought to think. He was not thinking soberly, and we're going to come to that. He says, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. To everyone who is among you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought to think. 
The man who makes a spiritual commitment understands the place of grace. The man who makes a spiritual commitment understands that it is the grace of God that sustains him in the journey. Not what he knows. Not how much he has prepared himself. Not because he's been to a theological college. Not because he's gone to a marriage seminar. That's what will sustain his marriage. Not because... He has done all those things, humanly speaking, that we think once we do them, we are now immune to the temptations and to the attacks of the, of the devil. To everyone who is among you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly. Now, that calls for great humility. That calls for us to come before God and understand that we are what we are by the grace of of God, And you all see this when a man makes a spiritual commitment to Jesus as he journeys with him. Now, the second difference that you see there uh, in a spiritual and a carnal commitment is that there is always a difference between seeing the cross of Christ and being blind to the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, when you think about Peter and the relationship that he had with Jesus, and I think this is very important for us to uh, point this out. When a man makes a carnal commitment, what he does is that he rejects or possibly even ignores the real meaning of the cross of Christ. But when you make a spiritual commitment to Christ, you understand the meaning of the cross. You know that the cross, what it actually does is that it calls you to live the crucified life. Whereby, as Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in and through me. But when Peter was boasting and making that commitment, I'm going to die with you, I'm going to follow you, even if it means the prison. Peter saw the cross, but Peter was blind to the real meaning of the cross. Can I ask you a question this morning? The day you gave your life to Christ and you saw the cross of Christ, did you fully understand what, it, what the cross meant. And I think this is the problem sometimes with believers. We give our hearts to the Lord. Yes, we see the cross, but we see it as maybe just something that we can use as a decorative, um, uh, 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 what do you call it now, ornaments you can hang around your neck. Or we see the cross of Jesus as a symbol that hangs on church buildings. But we never ask ourselves, what is the true meaning of the cross. And when you look at the life of Peter as he followed Jesus, Peter did not was blind to the cross, and that shows you a carnal commitment to Christ. Peter did not fully understand that Jesus Christ had to go to the cross. And even when Jesus told him about the cross, Peter was still trying to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And so when we come to our relationship with Jesus, we see that it calls for the crucified life, that the person who makes a spiritual commitment to Christ fully understand the place of the cross. That the moment I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior is a call to crucify the flesh, is a call not to boast in the flesh, is a call for me not to be overconfident in what the flesh can accomplish. But Peter's overconfidence, as we see it in the scripture, was caused by Peter being blind to the cross. Remember, it was Jesus Christ hanging on the cross 
that was going to cause Peter to deny him. Because when Peter saw his master arrested and he was going to be put on the cross, Peter stumbled. He could not take that in. And I love the scripture. Uh, Some of us, we already know this uh, verse of scripture. When Jesus Christ told him, and not just Peter, of course, the others, that he was going to go to the cross, what did Peter say to him? Peter began to rebuke Jesus not to go to the cross. And Jesus Christ looked at him and said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. You see, the way of the gospel, the way of Jesus, the way of the master is the way of the cross. If you look at Luke chapter 9, and is a wonderful scripture we have in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, where Jesus in that verse of scripture was telling them what it means to take up the cross. If you go to Luke chapter 9 here, and um, a very interesting verse of scripture. And he says, then he said to them all, and I'm sure he's saying the same thing to us today. If anyone desires to come after me, we all have that desire, don't we? When we say, Jesus, I love you. I want to follow you all the rest of my life. But look at what he says. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. And so this is the call for the kind of commitment that God wants of us. So, but the man who makes a kind of commitment will never come to a point where they understand what the cross truly stands for. They don't understand the place of denying themselves. They don't understand the place of taking up their cross and they will never understand the place of following. They may follow Jesus, but when trials and temptation and things begin to happen, it will become obvious that they have never denied themselves in the first place. It becomes obvious that they have never taken up their cross, understood what the true meaning of the cross is all about. And I think sometimes this is what exposes Christians to the attacks of the devil. When we follow Jesus, but we follow him because we have made a carnal commitment, we don't understand the difference between a carnal and a spiritual commitment that is a call to deny ourselves, is a call to take up our cross. It is a call to follow him every single step of the way. When Paul was speaking, and this is in Romans chapter 6, a very lovely verse of scripture, Paul's talking to, speaking to the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 6. And what does Paul say in verse 6? He says to them, he says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So you can see how many times, not just in Romans, but also if you go to the book of Galatians, Paul kept talking about the crucified life crucifying the flesh, crucifying the flesh so that the spirit will come alive on the inside of us. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, another lovely scripture there. And he says there, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. So if truly you have crucified the flesh and the affections and the lust, and then the devil attacks those things that are more like affections or the loss of the flesh, your faith will stand because you have already crucified yourself to those things. But when you are alive to those things and the devil begins to attack those things in your life that are like your affections, the things that you cherish so much, 
you discover that you begin to question why you are following. You begin to expose yourself to more attacks of the enemy because you have never come to a point where you understand what it means to live the crucified life. And this is why Peter stumbled, not just Peter, but the rest of them, because they made a commitment to Christ, but they never came to a point where they understood the difference between making that kind of commitment and making a spiritual commitment, because a spiritual commitment understands the place of purpose and desire, but also it understands the difference between seeing the cross and the difference between seeing the cross and also being blind to the cross of Christ. There are many believers today who are blind to the cross of Christ. It is when affliction and troubles and trials begins to come, that's when they realize that actually the call to Christianity, the call to discipleship is much more than sometimes what we are told in churches today or sometimes where we hear with the prosperity gospel that Jesus Christ will bless us. He will give us riches. He will give us wealth. He will give us everything. And so our affection and our hope all rest on it. And when the enemy puts his hand on those things and begins to test and to try us, that's when we discover that we saw the cross, but we did not truly understand the meaning of the cross. And we saw that in Peter's life. And the third difference there between a spiritual and a carnal commitment, I think this is very important, is there is a difference between knowing and not knowing the, the weakness of the flesh. Knowing and not knowing the weakness of the flesh. Think about Peter again in our text. What did Peter say? He says, I am ready to die with you. And if it means to go to prison with you, he said, I'm ready to go to prison. Think about the times that you have made such boastings. Of course, it's not the same as what Peter said. But there are things that you have looked at yourself and said, I am going to do this. I am going to do that. And I believe that in my power, I can do this or that. If you make a carnal commitment to Christ, you'll never come to a, a point where you understand the weakness of the flesh. But for those who have made a spiritual commitment to Christ, they know that the flesh is weak. But they understand that the spirit of God is there to strengthen and to uphold and to see them through all the trials and all the temptations that they will ever go through. Peter boasted confidence in the flesh. I am going to die with you. I am going to go to prison. And his boasting was in his natural strength. And we know how outspoken Peter was. You remember when the Jesus Christ was arrested, he pulled out his sword and took off someone's ear. That was a man still fighting in the flesh. Peter never quite understood the difference between the weakness of the flesh and not knowing that your flesh can only take you this far. And that's why when we come to our relationship with God, when we come to preventing Satan's attack, we have to understand that every single one of us, we are no match for the devil. But when we come to understand that through the power of Christ, that because Christ through his spirit dwells in us and sustains us, 
then no matter the attack that the devil throws at us, just as Christine say, using those superhero characters there, that we will stand, that we will not be overwhelmed, that he will not have the upper hand against our soul and against our spirit. And that's why here you see Peter boasting in the flesh and Jesus Christ looking at him and saying, Peter, before the cook crows three times, he says, you will deny me. You will say that you don't even know me. Jesus Christ knew the weaknesses of the flesh. And that's why it's always good for us as Christians, as we walk with Jesus, as we relate to him in our relationship, to, to let us never come to a point where we are boasting in the flesh. There is nothing about your flesh that will sustain you in this journey. There is nothing about your boasting that will sustain you in this journey. I say to myself, the only thing that can sustain me in the ministry is the grace of God, is the spirit of God sustaining me in the journey. Not because I went to a theological seminary. That's not what will sustain me in the ministry. What will sustain my marriage is not because I have gone through marriage courses and seminars. What will sustain you every single day and and prevent the attacks of the devil is not because you have read all the scriptures and you have memorized it. Yes, you may memorize them, but remember that there is always the possibility of the weakness of the flesh. And the devil wants to take advantage of that. And that's where we always rely on the grace of God. When you look at the story in the Bible of Apostle Paul and how this man crucified his flesh and relied solely on the strength of God, it gives you a picture of a man who came to a point in his walk with God where he counted everything but dung and understood that God and the grace of God is the only thing that can sustain him. When Paul was writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, if you read from verses 5 to verse 8, I actually like the picture that he paints there. And what he does there is to show us the contrast between the flesh and the spirit. And look at this scripture, very important verse of scripture for us this morning. And listen to what he says. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. You can see that that's a carnal commitment to Christ. The affections is on the things of the flesh. Everything they think about is on the things of the flesh. And once those things are taken away from them or those things are attacked, then the enemy gets the upper hand. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, For to be carnally minded, you see that? And don't forget, Paul is writing to the Romans, Christians. For to be carnally minded, he said, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can underline those words. Those in the flesh can never please God. Those who make a carnal commitment to Christ can never please God. They will fall in times of temptation. They will fall under the attacks of the enemy. But those who live by the Spirit and through the Spirit of God, not only do they mind the things of the Spirit, but they have life and they also have peace. Now, I think that that scripture sums it all up for us. And if you 
Look at Peter in the text with all his boastings. He took only a little girl to get Peter to a point where he denied his master. And the girl asked him, are you, are you, you, you sound like one of them. And Peter said, I don't know that man. Second time again, he denied. The last time he began to swear and curse. The same man who boasted in the flesh. The same man who said, I will go to prison and die with you. And we see this all around us, sometimes even in our churches. I have seen people come into the church and say, oh, pastor, I'm going to stand by you. I'm going to support the church. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do all this. But then the trials begin to come. And every single commitment and everything they said all falls to the ground. We are what we are by the grace of God. So the call for us is to learn how to walk in the spirit. And that's when we can experience the victory that God has kept in store uh, for us. When that cock, uh, when Peter heard the cock crowing, it was a reminder for Peter that you cannot trust the flesh. And the same thing for us. A day will come in our relationship with God through the trials of life when the cock will crow. And it will be a reminder for us that we can never trust and rely on the flesh. And my prayer this morning is that as we go through these battles and through these struggles and the things that the enemy throws at us, let us remember that one prevention against the devil is to remind yourself of the spiritual commitment that you have made. And if truly you have made that spiritual commitment, there will be a change in your purpose and desire. There will be a change in your attitude and understanding to the cross of Christ. And there will also be a change also in your understanding of knowing the difference between confidence in the flesh and confidence in the spirit of God. And I pray that God will not just open your eyes to see this, but to stand against these attacks of the devil. Hopefully next Sunday we will look at um, another prevention against Satan's attack and how this also plays out in our text. Shall we just bow our hearts this morning and just come to him to thank him for his word uh, to us. And I want you for a few seconds to examine your level of commitment to Christ this morning. What kind of commitment have you made to him? Is it a spiritual commitment? Or is it a carnal commitment? Have you understood the place of the cross of Christ and what it means? Have you died to self? Or are you still boasting in the flesh? Speak to him this morning. What is your ambition? Peter's ambition failed. Because it was a carnal commitment. It was later, of course, he got to understand what it meant to follow Jesus. 
and so also this morning. Even if the enemy attacks those things that you hold dear to yourself, you're still looking on to Jesus. You know that your purpose and your desires is not earthly but heavenly. Talk to him this morning in the quietness of your heart. For some of us, it might mean a a rededication or a recommitment in following Jesus. Someone rightly put it this way. He said, there are millions in the churches today following Jesus all because of what they will get from him. A canal commitment to Jesus. And no wonder why when those things seem to slip out of their hands, it's so easy for them to fall to the attacks and temptations of the devil. In this world, we will have tribulation, but Jesus says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome. That's the promise of scripture. He has not come to give us an earthly kingdom. He's not come to make our bank accounts fat. He's come to give us life and life abundantly. Why are you following this morning? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the words that you've spoken to us. Thank you that you've not left us without an answer, but also you've given us the prevention. And we pray this morning that you set our eyes on things above. Help us to be heavenly minded. Help us to understand what it means to follow you. To deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow. Open our eyes to see the reality of what the cross of Christ means for us in our discipleship. And Lord, is there anyone this morning whom the arm of flesh has failed? Lord, we pray that you will redirect them to begin to look to the one who will never fail them. You redirect them to the power and the strength of the spirit that sustains us throughout this journey. And I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you that you went to the cross. You died for us. You rose again. And as you promised us in scripture, you will come back again. Help us to get our priorities right as we walk with you. That even when the storms of life come, even when the enemy attacks and buffets us, we will stand strong in the midst of it all. Once again, Lord, we return all the praise and all the glory to you this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Right, we thank God for um, the words to us this morning. And I pray that we would truly reflect on those things that we have, um, we have, we have heard. And thus, these are some of the things that God has been, 
dealing with me in my heart. And um, out of those things, uh, I believe that there is a need for us to uh, to share it. I remember when uh, Christine shared that story with me about the man who, you know, took his life. And it was quite, uh, my spirit was troubled. And um, how a believer in Christ Jesus would end up that way. And that, that tells us the reality of the attacks that people go through and why we need to stand strong, reshape our expectations, that no matter what happens as we walk with Jesus, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we will overcome. Now we're going to sing our last song for this morning. And that is um, how deep the father's love uh, for us, how deep the father's love is for us.